So we leverage that uh, at the strength and we try to be uh, quicker than the other one. So usually we try to be the first one to say yes to a startup. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Matthew Grant here, partner at Instec London and your host for our weekly podcast. Now, thank you very much for joining me. There are so many podcasts now jostling for time in your day that I am really thrilled you could join us. If you're like us and many of the people we're talking to each week, I suspect things are getting very busy again in the last couple of weeks. We're certainly seeing a renewed confidence and desire to get back to work from most of our members and followers. Now, Florian Greo will be familiar to you if you're a regular user of Twitter or LinkedIn and are following what's going on in insurance and technology. He reports widely, frequently and with some authority on what is happening in the European insurance and technology scene. But despite being one of the most prolific voices in this area, Florian does actually have a different full-time job. He is the founder and partner of Astroia VC, an investment fund getting involved in seed rounds for technology-enabled startups that are providing services to the European insurance market. Not surprisingly then, Florian has some excellent insights into what is topical at the moment, explain what he looks for in companies that he invests in and even reveals how and why he is able to comment so actively in social media as well as do his regular job. On the subject of insights, if you have not already found our weekly newsletter and you think these podcasts are useful, then you might want to take a look at the newsletter itself. I assemble these every week. It goes out Wednesday morning, seven o'clock sharp. And it's our view on the things that we think you might find useful, whether you're an insurer, technologist, or indeed anybody else interested in innovation. You can find a sign up by clicking on the yellow button top right of the Instec London website or in the episode notes. Now hang on into the end to get to the answer to last week's competition question. And this week, we've got something to give away if you get back to us in time. Now, back to Florian. So, another wonderful guest today, Florian Greyo, uh, someone else who's studied engineering. It seems to be a bit of a theme from people in the world of insurance and innovation uh, these days. Um, Florian is today a partner at Astroia VC. He's a mentor for Open Insurance Initiative. Uh, Florian, you were previously at AXA Strategic Investors. You've been investing for about 10 years now, although interesting to you to see that you move from investing in property to investing in technology and then more recently in insurance back in 2014. So, you know, welcome to the Instec London podcast. Thank you. Thanks for the, uh, the invitation. I'm very glad to, uh, to be with you today. It seems like quite a few people have done things outside of insurance and then at some point in their career discovered insurance and now are making a business there. What was it that took you from property into insurance? I've always been very interested in technology. Um, I was degreed from an engineering school and I always invested in, uh, in startups since I earned my life, let's say. Um, and I think that insurance is a, first a huge market and there is a, a huge opportunity in terms of uh, applying and embracing technologies. I think what's very interesting as an investor is to try to spot the technology that will have a dramatic impact on, on an industry. And I had the opportunity to join uh, AXA Strategic Venture a few years ago. So I would say I was at the right uh, place at the right time. Well, and it's quite a bold move to 
shift from working for a, a large corporation, you know, well-funded, reasonably stable career to setting up your own VC fund in particular. I think you set uh, a story up in 2017. So just interested in you know, what it was that gave you the confidence to move out on your own and who your backers are. My partner, Jan, was at uh, Hermes Digital Agency a part of Alliance while I was at uh, AXA Ventures. So meaning that we were among the two biggest players in Europe with, uh, let's say, complementary vision on the market. And we, we had exactly the same analysis on the market, which was first, uh, insurance is a big market enough um, to have a standalone fund uh, versus considering insurtech as only a subsidiary or only a vertical of the fintech market. Uh, and the second point is regarding uh, the seed level of investment, because uh, if you have a look at who is investing in insurtech, most of the time it's fintech funds that are big, too big to invest at seed stage. And, and if you have a look at corporate themselves, uh, usually they are looking for startups with whom they could partner, meaning that they are looking for more mature startups that have already customers, that have already a track record and so on, meaning that both fintech funds and corporates are investing in later insurtech startups, leaving the seed stage quite empty. So that's where Astoria is coming from, uh, trying to invest before any other fund on the market um, and feeding the market with a quite interesting startup with a very strong and unique focus on insurance. Uh, so that's why we managed, by the way, to raise money from uh, insurance players themselves, because I think that we are uh, ticking a box, a kind of unique box, let's say, uh, in terms of investment. Yeah, I mean, that space, is, as you said, there's not many, uh, certainly um, professional organizations investing at seed level, which is, which is difficult. And I guess it's even particularly difficult in the last few months. I mean, when you talk about seed, depending on which, which country and seed can mean different levels of funding. But, you know, what, what typical range are you looking to invest at for seed? Uh, actually, that's a, that's a great feedback. And, and we are always, let's say, trying to put figures or to better define uh, what we mean be, uh, behind seed stage, because I think that many investors are using the word. Um, at least the, the, the way we define it is uh, regarding the maturity of the startup in terms of product development. Uh, so basically, when we say we can invest in, at seed stage, it means that we invest post-product. Um, so we don't have any requirement in terms of revenues, and we have even invested in a startup that was almost pre-launched, uh, meaning that the technology, again, was ready, uh, but the product and the solution was not yet on the market. Um, so basically, it was related to a market that we know very well, where we could be very helpful um, with, the, with the startup. But again, we define seed stage with a product done. And then, depending again on the technology, depending on the market, depending uh, on, on how the startup is consistent with our network, we are quite confident to look for the first, um, the first customer with entrepreneurs so that's how we define seed stage interesting uh, and so since 2017 there's three companies and you identify three companies that you publicly talk about i think there might be a couple more in the, the portfolio can, so can you just talk a little bit about you both who you're investing in just now and a little bit about what focus you have for your investments we raised the first fund end of 2018, meaning that we've been live on the market for, let's say, around 18 months. 
and over those 18 months we've uh, invested in uh, five startups uh, so we are let's say on track with our plan uh, so three of them are public uh, so we have Zeros AI in insurance based in France we have uh, Vetter Health uh, parametric insurance for SMEs in Germany uh, this is the one that was uh, pre-launched when we uh, put money uh, on them. And uh, the last one that was publicly announced earlier this year is uh, Azure, uh, and they are doing bank insurance uh, in the digital age. What was very interesting with them is that they are applying open insurance um, and leveraging the PSD2 regulation with a pure insurance use case which is quite rare in uh, in Europe because most of them and I guess that you know that very well in the UK most of the uh, um, open banking related startup are doing uh, fintech or finance uh, or purely finance uh, results and, and use cases Azure is the pure insurance uh, use case and beyond the three ones that are kind of public uh, we have done two deals recently one in cyber security um, because we think that insurance, uh, cyber insurance will surge and, and luckily or unfortunately, uh, the, the current crisis uh, showed that we were right uh, as the cyber threat is uh, surging. Uh, so here it's pure, uh, pure technology on top of which we will try to, to make a link with insurance and cyber insurance especially. And the last one that we uh, closed during the lockdown um, is um, very related to uh, our uh, thesis, let's say, on distribution through platform. This one is in Spain uh, and should be announced, uh, I would say, in the next uh, in the next weeks. I'm sure they're <laughs> thrilled to get their funding whilst everybody else is uh, heads down and trying to figure out you know where their next business opportunity is going to come from. So, just want to just touch back on those again a bit. Are they uh, are they are they all simply technology plays or maybe? Some of them sound like they might be MGAs or brokers. I mean, Vetterheld with the weather insurance parametric. Are they actually are they actually doing some of the underwriting or transacting some of the risk, or is it just a purely technology offering? Yeah, that's a very good question, and I think that uh, all of them have technology in common because when we see insurtech. Uh, in InsurTech, it's obvious that there is the word technology. Uh, and that's where we think we are relevant, is to leverage technology and apply it in insurance. Uh, so basically, that's the first focus that we have when we have a look at a startup. But indeed, you mentioned VetterHealth, they are on, uh, on, on the distribution part, but they are, again, much more than that. They have the risk engine, um, and that's the asset that we are leveraging to make it uh, happen. And for the Spanish company I mentioned, they are on the distribution side, and they are an MGA, um, because they are, they are helping insurers distribute their product on platform. So obviously, they are, they are a broker. We are quite flexible on whether uh, the startup in, is a, an MGA itself or pure technology, as long as there is a technology behind the scene. Um, because we think that first, this is the only way to have a competitive edge. And this is the only way to compete with, uh, with incumbents. So that's why, for instance, on the cybersecurity space, we started for from an investment in pure technology, and we will try to build cyber insurance on top, obviously partnering with insured themselves. But we start from a pure technology play that actually incumbent cannot play themselves. That's our thesis. Just to talk a bit about that, because I think one of the challenges I think in building a cyber company is there are a lot of people and organizations out there who claim to be able to do cyber analytics. My view is unless an organization's got some specific 
unique partnerships that are, are distinguish them from other people out there, it is actually quite difficult to look different. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about to extend you're kind of able to share it just now before you go public on your on your company you're investing in but you know if you're looking at a cyber company and you talk about technology what distinguishes that company from the hundred other companies that claim they can do cyber analytics for uh, for SME or corporates yeah, that, that's a very good feedback. And actually, we had exactly the same analysis as yours uh, on the market because we've been tracking uh, cyber insurance and more generally cybersecurity for or almost since inception. Uh, we've uh, even wrote an article, I think, beginning of 2018 on, on the opportunity around cyber insurance. And it was very tricky uh, between one company to another one to spot the, the one that had really a technology behind the scene. Uh, so that's why we have invested in a startup uh, in France that um, is coming from, I, I mean, the two founders uh, have been working in cybersecurity for a very long time and actually they will be soon um, licensed by the, uh, the cyber regulator in France. Uh, so that's why uh, we managed to assess that they had a very strong technology because they were applying for that uh, kind of label uh, in France. And there is nobody uh, in France able to say uh, that the technology is good, better than this uh, authority. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, in the same way that you know, regulation drives a lot of innovation, and that's a very credible yeah. mark for companies if the regulators accept output generated from their analytics. Um, just want to come back to, to Vetterheld as well, because we've been covering parametric mm. insurance. I read an article on it recently, which <laughs> interestingly got a lot of response from people who weren't included in it. I mean, how, how are they getting on? Is it early stage yet, or are they actually starting to? No, they, 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 are, they are early stage still, but uh, back to our definition of seed stage, they are a bit more mature because first they, they launched a product and they have already generated a few sales. Um, so obviously they are still on their uh, journey to the, the product market feed, but they have already several uh, insurance products available against drought, uh, against rain. Uh, they, they have a very strong focus on, on agriculture, obviously due to the lockdown, they had to shut down a few products temporarily, I, I mean, uh, everything related to outdoor businesses as restaurants, hotels, uh, festivals, and so on, were, let's say, uh, locked on themselves. What is interesting here is that they have the risk engine. I think that this is the key asset, especially in that space. I, I think that cyber insurance and, and weather insurance have in common that there are only few data available on the market. Not all of the insurance themselves are doing this kind of product. Uh, so meaning that they don't have that uh, much amount of historical data. Um, and that's the major difference between those kind of new risks. That's how we call them. Um, maybe we will talk later on about freelancers and so on. So all those new risks, I think that the competition from existing player is lower. And that's the opportunity we try to leverage thanks to technology. So here on parametric insurance, I know that uh, basically uh, you are covering that space and that would be great maybe to hear your thought as well on which are the uh, uh, use cases to apply uh, parametric insurance. Uh, but I think that there is a, a very strong uh, use case here and very and a really great opportunity to compete against uh, incumbents. It has got that characteristic, which is providing potentially new areas of covering insurance. I mean, there's certainly a few people I've spoken to in the parametric space who are offering insurance where in the past, Farmers hadn't been able to insure 
their field or they wanted it much more localized. And I guess you know similar question to that cyber one actually, which is as you look at the, or better look at where they get their data from, are they accessing unique data or is the value you see more around how they analyze the data and how they and the power of that distribution? I, I think it's a bit of both. Um, so obviously they are leveraging mainly public data and in their case they are leveraging local data because they are selling their product to SMEs. So I think that it's very important for the final customers to, to better understand how the, uh, the, the, the engine is running. And when you say that you are leveraging local data, I think it helps sell the uh, insurance product because uh, then the final customer can trust the data are consistent with this playground um, or her play, playground. So, so that's how I see it on, on, on data. And I, I think that the second uh, major strength is how they are leveraging those data. And here it's um, algorithm, uh, it's the risk engine that they have built, which is very consistent. Um, and, and I think that, again, you, you need to have both. So obviously, the data are public, so you can assume that big players might uh, leverage those data. The fact is, again, having this very local um, set of data unable to be closer to the final customer. Plus, it, it, it means that you will have, at the beginning, a, a smaller market, uh, though I think at the European level, the, the market is huge. Um, and in terms of building algorithm, then you need to uh, re-engineer everything when you are an incumbent because you usually uh, rely on historical data, whereas here, you need to rely uh, on live data and you don't have that much data on claim, etc., which is, again, the case for regular business line, home, health, cars, and so on. So I think it's a very different way to um, leverage the opportunity. And that's where I think there is a huge opportunity for startups to compete with incumbents because, again, first, not all incumbents are doing this kind of products. And second, everybody, incumbents and startups, are start starting from scratch. One of the challenges, I think, with all these new initiatives, whether it's, you know, it's parametric risk for weather or it's cyber, is there actually needs to be a frequency of claims that people are experiencing and actually seeing the payout coming through in a way that is that defines or demonstrates the value of the offering. You know, the difficulty is if it's offerings, offering something that is unusual, I mean, this is kind of the classic problem with sort of earthquake risk uh then people just sort of forget about it and assume it's not going to happen to them or as you can as i'm sure you're very familiar with the case in malawi with the african risk capacity where the uh the, the payout didn't actually occur despite the fact there was flooding and the farmers losing their maize crops so you sort of get that you know, challenge of on the one hand just not enough claims for people to worry about it or on the other hand your losses happen and the payouts don't happen so you've got to sort of figure out how to make sure that either the basis risk is minimized or there's some kind of backstop that actually covers it if the basis risk it means that the coverage doesn't technically pay out, but people still get taken care of. I think that will really define how well parametric indices you develop or, or, or not. Obviously, when, when the insurance product is not mandatory, there is a challenge uh, to, to sell the product. So that's obvious. But I would say that parametric is the uh, sale process because uh, th there is no negotiation. I, I mean, everything is written in the contract. Uh, so obviously, you know that if it's raining, then you get reimbursed. 
But I would say that uh, you're utterly right saying that then you need to explain how it works. And I think that the best uh, ad for, for this kind of product is when there is a claim. There is no negotiation. There is no fight between the customer and the insurance player. Everything being written ahead of the claim, and then you get reimbursed very quickly. So I think that the value proposition is very clear, but I agree with you that um, th there is a need to have a claim and to show that it works to then convince, uh, to co convince customers. So I assume that for those very small players where the brand is obviously less known than the big names on insurance, AXA, Allianz, and so on, uh, obviously for those startups, Floodflash, VetterHell, uh, and so on, they will have to show that actually their technology works and that they can reimburse uh, their customer very quickly to then convert more customer. But as soon as they will have a few examples like that, then I assume that the sales process will accelerate. Absolutely. In fact, you know, it could be a, a, great, a great way of the entire insurance industry demonstrating it adds value, which is you have a loss, your claim gets paid, and you don't have to worry about all the negotiation in the middle, you know, whether it's an indemnity-based claim or by a traditional incumbent or whether it's, it's parametric. So yeah, I think it'd be really interesting to see how that, that space develops. Um, for, I just want to talk a little bit about what you're seeing in Europe generally, or maybe more specifically, because yeah, there is some differences by by country. So uh, you, I think you're investing in Europe and I think you include UK in your, uh, in your definition of Europe. So thank you for, for broadening your investment to UK companies. Um, but what, what sort of trends are you seeing coming out across the main European countries in terms of technology and insurance? Since inception, we have been covering Europe and uh, indeed we are um, considering uh, UK, Switzerland, and the Nordics in our, in our scope. And actually, we, we are quite uh, impressed by how the markets are, are different from each other. So I mean that if you take France, for instance, the at least the first wave of insurtech players were mainly B2C, focusing on existing business lines, so a lot of car insurance, home insurance, a bit of health insurance with uh, Alan, for instance, uh, which is, I think, the, the most visible insurtech, French insurtech uh, startup uh, across Europe. So, so that's for France. I would say that in UK, quite interesting as well, because it started with a lot of life insurance related players. And uh, we saw a lot of commercial lines uh, related insurtech startups. So uh, I remember that uh, end of 2018, we released a kind of map of what's happening in, in Europe. And what was very interesting that it was that, so it, it, it was less than two years ago, um, most of the commercial line, if not all of the commercial lines in SureTech we spotted in Europe were in the UK. Um, so it, it changes a bit and, and, and we see a few startups, even in France, that are trying to address that, uh, that market. But still, UK is leading the wave here. In Germany, I would say we see a lot of uh, technology applied to insurance. And here, there, I would say that there is no uh, very strong pattern. We see B2C, we see B2B, we see enterprise software, we see MGA. Uh, but I, I would say that uh, technology is at the art of innovation in, in Germany. Uh, if you take Italy, for instance, there are a lot of telematics, but we strongly believe uh, that there is value uh, across countries. And, and by the way, if you take our... Um, portfolio again five deals done in 18 months we have four countries uh, in our portfolio yeah so no, that's impressive and I think I think you mentioned that in France you, you, do, you did some research in the last 18 months and there are only 30 startups in, in France is that right 
That's why as well, we are covering only Europe because we are deeply rooted in Europe. We know almost everybody in Europe. We are well connected with local ecosystems. That's what we are selling basically to our investor. And I think that this is why they are trusting what we are doing. I think the other thing, just as you mentioned those themes there, is it sort of reflects, not surprisingly, what the history is of different countries. So Italy was you're one of the first to embrace telematics 10 years ago and you're a big, big supporter of that. The UK, you were direct line, uh, uh, gosh, 30 years ago now, you know, using telephone uh, for insurance and then very quickly getting into online insurance. You know, it's a, you know, sort of now is looking for the next stage ahead. So I think it, you know, what is interesting with those geographical distinctions is a reminder that, you know, that Europe as a continent or politically, it is a bunch of different countries doing things in different ways, isn't it? Where you know, the opportunities can grow in one, one area, but actually potentially can leapfrog into new countries quite quickly if you're sort of getting ahead of the market. The, the idea is we invest in one country and then as we have deep roots in every other country, then we try to scale the solution. And, and that's the link behind technology because to scale, you need to have technology. So that's the, the rationale behind our setup. And, and by the way, maybe you have a, insight on why the UK is so bullish and so crowded in terms of, of commercial line versus uh, uh, other country because that, that's something I'm, I've been exploring since inception. And I, uh, again, I'm always impressed by how many commercial lines related insurtech there are in the UK compared to all other markets, including France and, the U, uh, and Germany. So maybe you have a clue here. Yeah, well, maybe people are just like trying to solve difficult problems. I mean, the commercial space is, is uh, as you know, is is a tough one to get right from the analytics because the data is often not as good. It's it's still very much a broker-led market, and actually, I don't think anybody is really in a hurry or expecting to see the brokers go away, except maybe on the on the on the very small, you know, the small of, of the SME side. Uh, but I think also, as you've mentioned before, you know, the role. Of Lloyd's and London Market in the specialty business is commercial focused, and just I think just again the pure geography and concentration of people in that space. I mean, if you can go and see 10, 20 potential clients very easily just by walking down the street, or at least that's what used to happen, um, it's, it's, it should be easier to be able to grow in that space. Much harder if you're based in the US or you know, even in, in sort of maybe Germany, where insurance is a bit more diversified across the country, I think, to be able to have those discussions. So I think it's a combination of need, access, but, but frankly, there are a few of those where you can point to initiatives that have really shifted what's happening. I mean, I think one example is Consirius with what they're doing on Marine, but it's taken them, you know, it's taken them quite a few years to be able to get there, but they're finally breaking into that space and getting, getting credibility around it. But there's, there's, there's a lot of interest, but still not that many companies that are really making a difference. So that, that's why we are exploring that space because we think that uh, the opportunity is still big. And by the way, the market is huge. So, so if entrepreneurs are listening to us, uh, feel free to launch and kick off business in that space. <laughs> so, so on that one, Florian, just in, you, you must get a lot of people coming to you and offering their businesses. And what is the process you use to review incoming uh, requests for, for funding? We have two ways to, to spot uh, startups. So obviously, a lot of founders across Europe sent us their, their deck, and, and thanks again uh, for, for that. Um, we review the deck, and, and basically what uh, triggers the, uh, the, the next step for us is uh, whether there is uh, tech behind the scene. So I, I assume that you, you've got the, the point that we are very tech-oriented. Uh, we, we need to 
to to clearly understand the market and and to see how to leverage our network because I think that beyond euros that we can uh, bring to startup, what matters is how supportive we have we are and and I think that here you can easily ask our uh, portfolio company we we try to be uh, hands on and we try to accelerate the sales process to rework on the product itself um, and and obviously we try to share visibility for our portfolio companies. And on the other hand, we have developed our own scouting technology. So basically, this is a, um, a bot that is crawling uh, public uh, newspaper, uh, public uh, social networks, and trying to identify startups. So here, it's mainly useful to spot startups that are not yet on the market, uh, that have not raised money, because again, uh, we try to invest very early uh, in startup journey as soon as the product is live. We have a very uh, regular uh, process to uh, to invest with a due diligence on on the founder themselves on the market on the technology itself and, and we we try to be uh, quick uh, while uh, doing uh, deals because again we are a small fund um, so so we leverage that uh, at the strength and we try to be uh, quicker than the other one so usually we try to be the first one to say yes to a startup and then we try to gather uh, investor around us so that's what we did for instance in vetter held um, that's what we are do that we did on the cybersecurity and that we will soon do on the uh, insurtech in spain that i mentioned earlier so so basically always the same pattern if we are interested we we try to move uh, quickly um, and then we try to work as close as possible with uh, with founders. The idea of the bot crawling across Europe, finding opportunities, it, it, it sort of syncs up very nicely with your concept of being able to assess and invest in technology companies. I mean, almost the first rule these days of running a successful company is to get the technology right. And it just so happens you happen to be investing in other companies. I find it really impressive, frankly, and actually for you personally, because you're, you're running your own business, you're investing in companies, you said you spend time on the boards, and you're also very active in, in talking about what you're seeing and what you're doing. So listen on that, on that latter point, I mean, how do you, how do you define a time? Or have you, are you very clever and you manage to delegate it to other people to go and you know, publish the research and, and talk about what's going on and get the visibility that way as well as doing your day job? I think it's part of my job. Um, I, I kicked it off a few years ago. I was in a previous fund uh, in France. Um, and I remember it was my early days, let's say, in VCs, and uh, there, there were there were a lot of VCs that were well known on the uh, on the market, and I was not. Uh, so when you start your career as a VC, you need to generate deal flow, and and I thought that one way to generate deal flow was to be visible where other people were not, and it was on social network, starting with Twitter. Uh, now I'm much more balanced, let's say, between Twitter and LinkedIn because I think that the audiences are a bit different, or at least my audiences are a bit different. On Twitter, it's mainly startup-oriented. On LinkedIn, it's much more corporates, so I use them a bit differently. Um, but at the end of the day, and again, it's it's pure, it's purely part of my job because that's where I can find, uh, let's say, research on the market. I can get trends on the market. I can discuss and engage with European uh, players um, and, and again, uh, we, we have only 24 hours a day. Uh, so the challenge is how to, to manage everything at the same time. And I think that uh, being visible on the on social network is useful both to generate deal flow. It's uh, useful to generate potential um, limited partners or investors in our fund. And it's useful in terms of business development for our uh, portfolio company because we share 
our network with them. We strengthen their visibility. And I think that, again, this is one part of our, our job. I will take another example that you are very familiar with, the, the one on parametric insurance. Um, you, you wrote a very nice article with, uh, if I remember well, 12 startups uh, doing parametric insurance in Europe. So it was a great way to push what is parametric insurance. But obviously, it was a way to promote our portfolio company um, on top of this article. So uh, again, both activity, publishing on social network and doing my, my job as a VC are uh, really close to, to each other. This is a competitive edge uh, as well because it takes a lot of time to build uh, such an audience. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pushing four tweets a day, every day, every year, since uh, five or six years right now. Um, so it's a huge commitment and that's what people are looking for, I guess, on my Twitter. Plus, uh, I don't use any bot. I think that this is key. I'm writing down all my tweets. Uh, so pe pe when people come to my Twitter account or my LinkedIn account, first they know that I have selected the article I'm pushing. And then they know that I have, let's say, took uh, the extract or, or the value of this uh, article. And they know again that when I do a comment, when I push um, an article, uh, it's myself, it's not a bot. No, that's, that's very impressive. But I think, I think you gave away your secret, Florian. You just mentioned there are 24 hours in the day. So I've just realized you don't actually sleep. And that's how you manage to uh, cram it all in. That's related to the uh, automated scouting technology that we've built because it all started with social network because we realized that social network were a great way to spot startup. And then we had two ways to do it, either manually or with an automated uh, scouting. So obviously we choose the second option and that's where it's coming from. So now we are crawling way beyond social networks, but it all started with that, uh, that idea. Very impressive. Uh, now I just want to talk a little bit about the way you see the futures going and you know, what, a lot of what we've seen in the last five years, you know, since the term InsurTech has really started to get widely adopted was you know, the sort of the concept of the either the full stack technology company or certain organizations that were building solutions where they wanted to sit on the underwriter's desktop or you know, maybe a different part of the organization. And now it looks like we're moving much more towards a world where the platforms are going to be critical and it's just going to get harder. I mean, it always has been hard, but I think it's going to get harder to, to find a space on that underwriting desktop. Uh, you've talked a bit about APIs. You're, you're, you're a mentor for the Open Insurance Initiative, but how does that how does that fit with your view as to how the future is is evolving? You're moving from a, a sort of standalone application to much more integration across and working with some of the leading technology players. Yeah, I think that you perfectly summarized the uh, how the insurtech scene has evolved over the. Uh, last five six years, I, I would say that there are, there were three waves. So the first wave. I would say 2014, 2017, a lot of B2C insure tech players addressing existing business line. Uh, then the second wave, I think 2017, 2019, where insurers uh, had a deeper look at those players and realized that the figures were not that impressive. Um, and, and I think that the third wave started in 2020 and is only accelerated by the current crisis we are facing is, um, okay, maybe B2C player will not uh, kill insurance player, but technology player might have a dramatic impact. So you mentioned API, for instance, I think that API will have a dramatic impact on distribution. Um, you, you, you may know that we are very uh, 
uh, bullish on, on distribution of insurance products through platforms. And I think that it's all about API. So if you are an insurance player with API available on shelves, then you can uh, keep existing in the new world. I mean, where uh, distribution will um, go through platform and e-commerce websites. Uh, if you don't have API available, then you might be in danger. So that, that's the reality. Uh, you mentioned underwriting. I think it's a key topic. We, we see a, a few startups right now addressing that part. It's all about data. So I think it's related to the earlier discussion we had on new risks. Um, because again, if you take uh, existing business line, obviously insurers have a lot of data. But when you take new risk, then everybody starts from scratch. And here, startup might be more relevant with their AI algorithm than uh, insurers with their actuaries. But I think that we see uh, an acceleration here, again, because insurance players realize that they cannot do everything internally. Um, and that's the pattern we see uh, among incumbents. They start trying to do themselves, and then they realize that they are too slow, uh, that they, they don't have the right uh, talents, or they don't have the budget, or uh, for many reasons, they realize that they cannot do everything on their own. So that's the famous make or buy uh, questions. And what is very interesting is that uh, at the end of 2018, we, we were asked a lot about augmented insurer. And I think that the crisis we went through, and especially the lockdown period, just highlighted how important it was to deliver technologies, software, tools to existing play players. So I think that the most attractive started for us um, are the ones that are leveraging the technology and delivering that technology for the use of insurers and the big player in Europe, WeFox, is another example of that, technology for incumbents. So uh, I know that in fintech, uh, um, at the beginning of the year, they, they reversed the words. Uh, in instead of saying fintech, they were saying uh, tech for fin. Um, I, I think that maybe this is the, beyond the, the, the joke on the world itself. I, I think that th this is the major trend that we will see in the next month. It's tech for insurers. What's your view on how the insurance organizations, the incumbents, how have they evolved in terms of their ability to be able to work with technology coming in? That's been one of the challenges for a lot of companies and, and actually even the challenges people within those innovation organizations themselves has been able to deploy the technology across the company. Are you seeing some more encouraging signs about that changing now so that people are actually able to, on both sides, to start to work with some of the newer technology? End of 2019, we, we started to see corporates saying, okay, we, we don't want to partner with many startups. We want to partner with a few startups that could deliver results. And I think that the current crisis uh, will accelerate that, uh, that move for a startup that have a true value proposition and would, are delivering a real value to their uh, customers. I think that we move from, there are a lot of issues, uh, we need to fine tune, we need to test, we need to blah, 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 to, okay, let's do it because we don't have other uh, options. So I hope that um, it will give a, a bit more flexibility to work with startups, um, not trying to apply corporate uh, processes to very tiny uh, companies and much more, let's say, focus on results. Uh, and then if you want to, um, let's say, move to production and, and put it at a larger scale, then obviously you need to uh, have a stronger check 
on processes, security, and so on. But at the very beginning, just to try whether it delivers a result or not, usually you don't need all the heavy uh, corporate processes. So again, I hope um, that, that it will accelerate the pace and it will smoothen the, the relationship between corporate and startup. And I would say that based on the few discussions we had with corporates during the, uh, the lockdown period and even more recently, it, it seems that they, they are more eager, let's say, to move forward, to embrace uh, technology. But uh, I think that it will raise a challenge for startup themselves, meaning that only the startup that have a strong value proposition will be relevant. Because if corporates start looking at results, then it means as a startup, you need to deliver results. So I think that there will be a race uh, towards more uh, value proposition um, and, and, uh, and yeah, a startup with a strong asset uh, answering a real need will be more relevant in the coming months. I completely agree. I mean, it, it, and it comes back to the, the, the ability to actually use platforms as a, as a partner to access companies to identify where the real opportunities are. Uh, well, Farron, that's been really, really interesting. You mentioned briefly about the article I'd written on parametric insurance, and we've got a number of those coming out around different themes. There seems to be, yeah, I think a, a lot of value of looking at the companies out there on a either or both a solution or a technology angle, meaning like parametric or cyber or IoT. Uh, I think we sort of moved on from the, you know, the, the, the top 100 insurtechs to watch um, and we're certainly seeing a lot of engagement on that. So you know, hopefully we'll be able to include some of your companies in those, in those lists going forward. Um, anything, anything final you want to add that we haven't had a chance to, to talk about or any sort of news you want to share? Uh, I would say that, uh, no, uh, unfortunately, uh, we, we didn't manage, let's say, to, uh, to sign uh, uh, quickly enough our last investment to be able to uh, announce it during the podcast, but I think that uh, obviously we will follow up very quickly. And, and again, yeah, we will have, I think, a very exciting uh, investment to announce in, uh, in Spain very shortly. I would say by the end of the month uh, would be great. And, and I, I hope and I think that you will hear about it uh, very soon. Excellent. Well, I also very much look forward to coming back to Paris before too long. I think you're ahead of us in terms of being actually been allowed out and get back onto the streets and uh, in, enjoy bistro life. But, uh, you know, I'm a very big fan of Paris and I think it's always very healthy to sort of discuss innovation and technology and everything actually in a, in a different country as well. So I hope you will get some time face to face together before too long. It would be great indeed to uh, reopen, let's say, all face to face discussions. Uh, but I think that we will have the opportunity to, to see each other again and engage with the insurtech scene across Europe, hopefully very soon. Good. Well, Florian, thank you very much. Most, thank most you. enjoyable. Thanks a lot. Well, that's a lot of content. If you didn't get it all and want a transcript, then contact me via LinkedIn or Matthew at instec.london. Now, at Instec London, our goal is first to help insurers, brokers and investors see through the noise and hype and find the best companies to partner with. Uh, and for technology companies, we're helping the ones we believe are offering great products a way to reach out to our community of insurers and investors. If you're not yet a corporate member and want to find out what we're offering or how to sponsor some of our great live chat events, uh, contact me or at hello at instec.london. Finally, you've made it this far. So the answer to last week's question on the podcast, which was what is the bird singing in the background when Robin was talking? So here's a reminder of what you may have heard. 
And the answer is a house sparrow. And our gift for this week, so for the first 10 people that email us and tell us you'd like one of these to hello at instec.london is our limited edition Instec London digital pig t-shirt as shown on the photographs from our Christmas party. Back next week, Sunday morning, sharp. See you then. <laughs>